what isn't viable from an investment standpoint at all? Where does VC fit into private equity, into public markets? How does credit play into the whole ecosystem? How do different investment classes work from a CAGR and a return on investment? Where does real estate fit into all those different things? I didn't realize it until I started working in all of those different classes. And I'm like, oh, wow, this stuff really is all interconnected. And the ability to realize that and know how the pieces fit together, it ends up being really valuable. All right. Welcome. You're listening to Alternative Universe, a show for financial advisors, fund managers, and those who want to navigate the diverse landscape of alternative investments and explore opportunities that lie beyond the conventional. I'm really excited to introduce my guest today, uh, a partner and managing director at Long Angle, Matt Sheckman. Welcome to the show, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, like I said, I'm really excited to have you on here. When I was looking over um, your experience, I mean, you have done a ton. And today at Long Angle, you play a lot of roles. I mean, from sourcing to diligence to closing deals. And for those of you who who don't know, Matt, why don't you just give a little bit of uh, an overview of what Long Angle is and, and what your role there is? Sure. Uh, so Long Angle is a community. It's a peer group for high net worth individuals and families. There's no membership fees. And so to date, we've uh, attracted about 2,100 members now um, into this closed and embedded community where we interview every member that comes in. And we kind of have four facets where there's an online community for open discussion, touching on anything and everything, touching on high net worth families. We also do live events and, and education and trusted circle peer groups for kind of d- going deeper with a personal board of directors. Uh, and then what I manage is our alternative asset deal flow. Uh, and through our membership base and our ability to leverage our our members and our high net worth families, we have um, the ability to access some institutional level managers and also use our member base in order to help us diligence the deal flow across a wide variety of, of alternative assets. We launched our first one two years ago. And so we've done about 25 to date, shoot for give or take about one a month of highly curated uh, alternative assets with commitments ranging from five to $15 million or so across the alternative landscape. Oh, wow, man. That's incredible. I mean, one a month. And what vehicle are you guys using to pool your partner's money? Um, how do you guys go about that? What's the, what's the execution process? So we put together SPVs um, through a Delaware series LLC, um, but each asset is a single fund vehicle um, that we use to invest in a private manager across somewhat agnostic in the alternative space from private equity to venture real estate, as well as some more esoteric asset classes where we think that there's a significant information or capital dislocation. And we use those on a deal-by-deal basis where our members opt in. So we don't have discretionary fund of funds type use right now. It's um, individual vehicles that we market once a month and then our members come in as they choose. Excellent. And so for the members that are coming into Long Angle, how does that happen? It seems like it's a pretty exclusive group or kind of like a club. Um, How do you guys get new members or invite only? What's the deal? 
we have a minimum net worth requirement of 2.2 million. It's the qualified client um, threshold by the SEC, but our median is probably closer to the 10 to $12 million range. And really sort of at the outset, it came through referrals and word of mouth in the entrepreneur post-exit communities, et cetera. And then as well as sort of earned media through, you know, people that ask us to come on podcasts, those types of things. And then we have some relatively famous members that have their own podcasts, alternative channels, and things like that, and pretty decent-sized following, and, and we've developed good connections with them, and then kind of put that out to their networks as well um, that, that drive our, our membership base. We have done very limited advertising to date, um, and so we have tried to keep steady steady growth rather than exponential to make sure that, you know, the user experience is good and that our member quality is top notch, which is the main goal. Yeah, that's great. And as you might know, a lot of our audience are financial advisors. And I think that groups like yours, like Long Angle, play a really unique and specific role when we think of wealth management or financial advice. Because I know I was just having dinner with an advisor the other day and he said, there's one thing I know if a private investment comes across my table as an exclusive deal, it's probably not a good one. <laughs> yeah. Right. It's just not the world that they live in. They're working in public yeah. markets. And so I think it's uh, you guys could play an important role. And that's, that's one of the things that's so exciting to me with what you're building at long angle is give a place for great financial advisors who work with folks that should be members of long angle um, to give them a place to source these types of exciting deals. We actually work hand in glove with RIAs and, and that type of community where a number of our members are perfectly happy managing their own assets. I use a financial advisor. I don't like to dive into the weeds of the public markets. And I just, I also know my personal proclivities and I like having somebody else as a backstop um, as well as just sort of taking care of tax loss harvesting and all that kind of stuff where I honestly, I don't have time for it. And in the same way, a number of our members who are, you know, really deep and concentrated into one field or don't have time to do X, Y, and Z, we serve the same purpose, right? We are sourcing, we're diligencing, we're getting to know these sponsor, we're diving deep on the hundred opportunities that we see a month. They just don't have the time or the ability to kind of get into everything from starting to build the relationships to diligence and underwriting to investor relations and on everything in between. And that's where we kind of see the value on the alternative side. And then the ability to kind of circle back around and reduce what I call like six degrees of separation to one across 2,100 members, you know, I'll see a manager come through and we're the best middle market private equity firms and sliced bread, you know, and then we'll go to our member base and we'll have people who have been on the other side of the transaction table for them. We have people that worked for that manager. We have people that work for competing managers or ancillary business lines and things like that. And it really helps us get to understand how those managers operate. It obviously reduces level of fraud and things like that, that you see in the private market sometimes. And the ability to just really make sure that we're taking best in class deals to market. That's fantastic. Well, you haven't always been with long angle and I'm not sure. Maybe you always have been aspiring to do this type of work, but why don't you tell us a little bit about, about Matt and how you got here? 
Yeah, no, I never kind of anticipated that I would be in this spot. I started my career as a real estate finance attorney, actually. I was at Jones Day representing big banks on acquisition, development, refi projects, Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan Chase, all that good stuff. Probably one of the few lawyers who didn't hate his work and actually had great partners that I was working with, but I was on the wrong side of the table. You know, the bankers and the clients all made 10 times more than I did. And I was like, I can you know, I can do this. And so I actually got into the GP side of the equation, started a real estate GP and and doing those through about 2017 or so. Didn't have the right sort of partners in place. And we also thought wrongly that we were kind of at the end of the cycle. And so we kind of wrapped up our last fund. It was great. But then I realized, you know, what I really like to do is be way more passive. Um, and so that's about that time. I really started developing um, a lot of family office and other LP, GP relationships across the spectrum. And I really, I knew real estate very, very well. That's all I'd ever done all day, every day, but wanted to get in substantially more and understand the world of private equity, venture capital, and a variety of other asset classes so that I could really focus on my asset allocation and, and diversification. So for the past gosh, pushing on seven years or so, I've been basically full-time investing. And then when I got looped in with long angle and they really needed somebody to professionalize the deal flow operation, uh, that's what I've been doing full-time for the last almost two years now. That's, that's sort of part of the story. The other part is that I've been operating and doing, this is my third startup now. Um, and so we exited two other startups. So Amidst me, you know, being a real estate investor, getting into full-time investing, I've kind of always had a, a business that I that I build up, I scale for a couple of years, I let other people run it, and then we exit. So we're we're actually in process right now to exit um, our second business, um, hopefully Q1 of of 24. So I've kind of found that the operational expertise, the legal background, the GP side understanding. Uh, of how the different pieces work from an investment, as well as you know, just sort of operating and being in deep in the investment world was kind of a perfect fit for what we're doing at Long Angle, where I'll never be the person that raises my hand and said, no problem, give me a hedge fund, a private equity fund, a venture fund, and private credit, and I can underwrite all of them all day. It's more of an acknowledgement of, where you know your experience and skill set lies and where you need help and luckily we have you know 2100 members that we reach out to and we say hey you've been doing this for the last 25 years let's put together a deal team and see if it works and so that's, that's kind of how we approach it yeah that's great so 2100 members that's amazing yeah. and how long have you all been working um so we launched in 2020 my partners who co-founded it basically had the B2B SaaS exit going from zero to eight figures in a day. And then all the resulting wow. questions being first gen wealth of estate and tax planning and asset allocation. Do I need a wealth manager? Like we talked about before, how do I go about getting umbrella insurance? What is this like whole life thing and all that kind of stuff? And really kind of not knowing where to start and finding that Google is is not particularly helpful, or they just didn't have the time to get into it. And so really having trusted resources, 
where there's absolutely no solicitation was huge. And so they really put together a group of 10 to 15 individuals that they had kind of known and had similar exits or colleagues or, or friends and acquaintances. And then it kind of blew up from there. And it got real about a year later, which is about when I joined the community as a member and then really started putting together, okay, how do we how do we really expand on this? No knock on Tiger 21 or, or other similar groups, but there's just a lot of people who don't necessarily want to pay country club type fees in order to rub elbows with, with people on that plane. And so we figured that there's a lot of value in just really growing worldwide, having a bunch of different data points against industries, backgrounds, sectors, and experience, and then providing the ability to benchmark learn and then network with with peers in a way that's it can be a taboo subject on a lot of these things i know i had literally no one on earth to talk to about these types of things other than my wife um, we're not knocking on our neighbor's door asking them you know how they're thinking about estate planning uh, and things like that and if i asked my parents they would just ask me so um, it's right. really a nice ability to kind of bounce ideas off of people who've been there I mean, it's a massive nod to the power of referrals, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I know like just coming from financial services and probably in most industries, we always talk about referrals, but um, really it's quite often it's the go-to for most people when looking for a resource across the mm -hmm. spectrum, whether it's a doctor or as you mentioned, a lawyer looking for someone with um, estate planning experience all the way down to financial advisor, even what kind of restaurant you want to go to for dinner, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Our, I mean, we, we get a lot of that soft stuff like travel and leisure. I'm going to Spain in six months. Like, where should I go? I don't trust TripAdvisor or, you know, and you have people that obviously live there or were just there and they can kind of provide that. But also, like you said, referrals and recommendations, I'd say accountants is probably number one. Wealth managers is probably number two, but a lot of benchmarking too on fees and things like that. You know, I had 20 K ones and two operating businesses and I paid $5,000. Like how, how does that square up against everybody else? And so it, it helps people negotiate fees, like figuring out whether or not they have the right service provider and things like that. Oh, that's fantastic. I mean, it's so cool. I keep hearing more and more about, I mean, like you said, the tiger 21s and all these syndication clubs popping mm -hmm. up. You hear about them left and right. I don't know if you have an opinion on it. Um, it sounds like you guys are a lot more than that. We try to not be one thing to any particular individual. And we know that different people come for different reasons. Some people have zero interest in alternative access. They're pure bogleheads through and through. I'm like, Good for you. Like That's not a bad way to approach investing. And then others who are all about it, but they don't have the expertise in private equity or venture. And then people who just are not interested in investing at all. But how do I raise my kids in a high network environment? I've never had this experience before. I would really like other people's opinions or people that want to network. They're semi-retired or fully retired. And so they want to go to a happy hours and get to know other people in a similar situation because they don't like feeling awkward when people ask, what do you do? And you're like, I'm retired at 38. It's an awkward conversation. So to have other people that are in that same, you know, wheelhouse is, it's just comfortable and it's a good place for a variety of different things. We have a lot of members that are part of Tiger 21 and, and other similar groups. I think we just provided, we provide one more data points because we are larger. Um, and so you have more ability to crowdsource information 
Um, and we provide more kind of different things. So for the people that are interested in a variety of different things, it, it really helps. And, you know, it's basic. There's no risk, right? Because it's, it's free to come into the membership community. Um, and so you don't, you're not faced with, with that. The investment clubs, I think there's a couple that I know of and that we have a number of member crossovers. I think they do a really good job on some of their diligence. I've found that they tend to be hyper-focused in particular areas. Notably, some of them are more focused on, on real estate and venture, both of which are pretty tough environments to work in right now. And so they have found themselves a little bit at a lack of, okay, well, what do we do right now? Given that bid-ask spreads are way off the mark or that, you know, venture fundraising is super tough right now. And so our ability to kind of be nimble and agnostic, depending on market cycles and kind of what's going on has really kind of enabled us to continue with high quality deal flow without forcing stuff through. And I mean, just in your, I think in your curiosity, probably your entrepreneurial background, it lends a lot into being, I guess, having a, a wider view into mm -hmm. opportunities and deal flow and what gets you excited, how to, how to source your own membership to bring people into the due diligence process. Uh, it sounds like an exciting kind of prospect when you think about it. Um, all this deal flow coming to you and you kind of connect all the dots. I mean, I'm kind of a constant learner um, and obviously I've done a lot in the last, I guess, 14 years of my, my working history. Not that I get bored easily necessarily, but I kind of constantly want to try new things. You know, one thing that wasn't totally apparent to me when I first started investing you know, I felt like real estate was a, a silo, but it, everything is connected, right? And so when you see how all of these things work together and you know how the different pieces work, it really helps you understand and underwrite different asset classes. Like you might be talking to a private credit provider, like I'm talking the gall of yesterday, and then you talk to a private equity from the next day and they work together. And like to the extent that you know how they both operate together and how those levers work in the markets, you can really figure out how things work and understanding where VC fits in, what type of company should be raising VC, which should be more on the growth equity scale, what isn't viable from an investment standpoint at all, where does VC fit into private equity into public markets? How does credit play into the whole ecosystem? How do different investment classes work from, you know, just a, a CAGR and a return on investment? Where does real estate fit into all those different things? It, it really helps. And um, I don't know, maybe I'm just dense, but I didn't realize it until I started working in all of those different classes. And I'm like, oh, wow, this stuff really is all interconnected. And the ability to realize that and know how the pieces fit together, it ends up being really valuable. Nice. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, do you guys just work with funds or are you looking for direct deals as well? We just do funds, I'd say on about a 95% basis where single asset risk typically is not something that we're looking for. We tend to be a little bit more conservative on the spectrum. And then two, you know, if I'm just being honest from an underwriting standpoint, it usually makes way more sense for us to underwrite a sponsor and current fund dynamics and underlying seated assets than it does 
all right, I'm looking at an angel deal that I may only be able to put $500,000 into. I need to go fly out and interview the management companies. Then I need to negotiate terms and liquidation preferences and all that kind of stuff. It ends up kind of not being worth it at the end of the day. And so where we veer off of that a little bit is we have negotiated a lot of co-investing opportunities. And so We'll get in deep with a sponsor. We'll invest in the fund first. And then on a fee reduced basis, we'll come in on particular co-investments, which are somewhat de-risked already, but they also have better fee terms. And then we kind of know how the sponsor operates already. Um, is there anything that uh, you're working on today that's exciting that you can talk about? Any, any, maybe even an asset class that's got you excited? We've gone really deep into search funds over the last year or so, and we've made three or four for investments into search funds, which is something that I hadn't heard of uh, until I met a few search operators through the long angle community. But it's basically micro cap private equity, which is something that I've always been interested in as an operator, because if I can go buy a business for 5x EBITDA, I'm making money straight out the gate, except it's such a, it's such a hard business to scale. All the major buyout funds or, or private equity uh, providers out there I'm raising a $2 billion fund, it's pretty hard to put that to work um, when you're buying $10 million companies. And so search funds, is they figured out how to scale it where they'll go to MBA grads, McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and recruit out of there young and hungry. And then they'll put an advisory board behind them in order to scale out these super attractive companies from a cash flow or just a pure fundamentals basis, but that are otherwise impossible to scale for larger capital allocators. And then you have a multiple arbitrage when you can grow out of that micro cap space where the hindrance prior to that really is just the ability to have that many operating companies. And so there's only been two to $3 billion over the last two and a half decades invested in the space entirely. So the hardest part is getting access, but historical average industry returns are like 33% and Stanford does a study every single year on a specific asset class. And so our biggest thing is getting access because it's so hard to get into the investment space and then provide that to our, our membership. And so it's a very, very small network where all of the different GPs, they know each other. They all kind of provide the recommendations. Oh, they're good LPs. They're not so good LPs, et cetera. And so it's enabled us to kind of go in deep there. But where it's really attractive to them to allow us in as an LP is we have the 2100 members. They maybe need an e-commerce advisory board. And so we'll send them somebody. They maybe have somebody that's focused on software solutions in the healthcare space. And we'll be able to provide those types of things. And so we actually provide value add to our GPs which is something that's helpful in order to provide access. But there's a few different asset classes too that actually, you know, GP stakes is a great real estate replacement right now where bid-ask spreads don't make sense. You get immediate income on a tax advantage basis and you get to invest in private managers um, on a minority basis. So you're basically taking the beta of all of these private market tailwinds that uh, have occurred over the last 10 years and pushing it forward. You have fee-related earnings that just get passed through and distributed every single year. So it's been something that we we invested uh, with a major operator last year, and we're probably going to be doing another one here in a couple of weeks. Wow. Man, you guys have been busy. Yeah. Busy at Long Angle. That's great. Congratulations. And like you said, it's uh, 
it's not the easiest place right now, especially in private markets, you know, and most of the headlines are about venture capital. Um, they're about like this, this contraction of values and, you know, down rounds, et cetera. Everybody's kind of looking for that, I guess, meat to grind on. But um, it sounds like there's tons of opportunity and there's always arbitrage opportunity as long as you have someone yeah. out there looking for it. Yeah. And that, that's why, you know, it's more about the the jockey than the horse and the, and the private markets. Right. And so we spend a lot of time there. And I, you know, I think this is probably good for venture at the end of the day, you know, venture needed a shakeout two years ago, anybody who had ever sold a SaaS company then called themselves a venture capitalist, you know, and paper marks were just made up based on whoever came in at, at the latest round. And there probably needs to be a little bit of a shakeout. I have no reason to believe that 2023 and 2024 aren't going to have really good vintages. It's really finding the managers that's hard in the venture space. If we take a look back, I know you have some personal interest, Matt, maybe along your entrepreneurial path around health and wellness. You know, health and wellness is is a personal like favorite of mine. I love it when I talk to people who are trying to better themselves, not just in their profession, but also in their life and in their health and how they feel and how they participate in the world. And you have some great experience there. I'd love if you share some of that with us. Yeah. So um, the first business that we built was a multi-unit yoga franchise out of the Southeast and had teacher training and international retreat verticals that we sold to a public strategic in, in 2017, well ahead of COVID, which was, uh, which was positive. And it provided a runway for me to do the next startup, which launched in 2017. Not too long after that, the, uh, the public company that had acquired us, they, they reached out to me to work with them, given my legal background and my operational background with the business to help with AFL-CIO labor negotiations. And so that I came in with them in 2019, just as what I thought was a part-time consulting gig, and then COVID hit. That obviously impacted a 70 storefront, uh, you know, $75 million business um, that was heavily reliant on membership fees and in-person storefront consumers. And so I then moved into a general counsel role and we worked through 70 lease negotiations. And then unfortunately, the outcome of that ended up being 2,600 rifts and, and layoffs and then the chapter 11. And so I took that company through the 363 process, starting as an independent contractor consultant. And then I ended up running the spinoff as president uh, after we sold it at the end of 2020. And so I ended up operating a company that acquired us in an online basis, but really kind of taking, that was a a pivotal move from purely in-person dynamics to 100%, 180-degree pivot to um, on, online learning, which had never been something that, that was focused on at all, which now, of course, is ubiquitous. But people kind of forget that COVID is really what pushed so much of the online learning. It launched Zoom. It launched so many other platforms like that. But it also provided health and wellness at your fingertips. So, you know, if there's any silver lining on 
the really negative things that came out of COVID. It also really provided just a wealth of access to information, knowledge, and wellness um, at a much, much lower price point, which you you have to look at as a positive. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, for all the negative that did that had occurred through COVID, and that's that is actually a curiosity of mine when you sold your company, the yoga company is, I mean, literally with with different apps on my TV and through a pretty simple streaming device, I can get access to things that improve my well-being as a human. I mean, for a fraction, a fraction of the cost, a fraction of the effort. That's yeah. so much more front and center than it was. Yeah, Very and cool. in 2017, when we sold, that was it was nothing. That right. that zero market penetration, and you know now access and and usage is I haven't looked in a, in a minute, but probably in the thirty to forty percent range. Yeah, I mean the TAM is um, it had to explode. Yeah, crazy. Well, we're just at about time and uh, we'd like to try and keep these things to about 30 minutes, but um, I'd love if there's any takeaways that you want to leave our audience with, feel free to lay it out. Yeah. I, gosh. I mean, in terms of what I do on a regular basis, alternative assets, they can be hard, but really rewarding. There is an illiquidity premium for a reason, but usually, you know, it's hard to find. And so if you spend the work doing it uh, and you get in there and you really understand your asset classes and your investing methodology. There's real alpha to be had. I am probably more exposed to alternatives than most and everybody kind of has their their own risk tolerance and and thresholds depending on on their income and their and their needs for for passive income, but when it comes to long-term compounded tax advantage growth, some of these illiquid private market private equity options are super attractive, uh, which is why it's fit in so well with our kind of high net worth community that's a little bit focused on income production and is a little bit more focused on tax efficiency and private market beta and and manager alpha. We've been blessed to get some really good access and um, we're starting to catch the eye of some institutional managers um, that really see the value that we can bring to them um, outside of a check. So that's been really interesting and fun. Very cool. Well, you're doing awesome work, Matt. And uh, it's been a great pleasure getting to know you and getting to know Long Angle. Again, for our listeners, these communities can have great power for your clients. The type of work Matt does isn't what a lot of the financial advisors we work with want to do or are doing on a daily basis. So I really encourage you. You can find Long Angle and find more information on their website. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Alternative Universe. If you're interested in learning more about Long Angle, and if you're a Mammoth client, just log into the Mammoth portal, go to your fun catalog, and you can discover more about Long Angle right there and even get an introduction to Matt if you want to talk more about how to introduce your clients to that community or become a member yourself. This podcast was brought to you by Mammoth Technology and produced by Turncast. If you like this show, consider sharing it with a friend. You can subscribe to future episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. For more information about Mammoth Technology and Alternative Universe, visit us at mammothtechnology.com.
Everything discussed on this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered advice. The participants may have financial interests in the companies discussed on the podcast.